that. This morning we're going to kind of wrap up a mini-series we began, and um, there's a lot of things that we want to talk about that are really important and relevant. And uh, before we try that, though, let's ask God's Spirit to teach us. Let's pray. Lord, so often as we bow, um, there's a temptation, God, to just uh, think this is what Christians do. We pray and not really give much thought uh, beyond that. But Lord, the reality is we desperately need you. We desperately need a word from you. We live in a culture, God, that seems neither to heed your words nor care about them. And yet, it's not surprising because of that we see a culture spinning out of control. We see lives devastated. People hurting that you never intended to hurt. Families being broken that you never intended to be broken. But Lord, you've given us your word. We praise you for that. Because, Lord, it's your word that is truth. It cuts through all the facades and it cuts through all the lies and compromises and it's, it speaks right to the reality and the truth of it all. And, and because of that, we thank you. It's a firm foundation for us to stand on. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us understand in a little greater way what your word says. I pray especially this morning that our hearts would be receptive to what it is you want us to consider. Maybe adjustments in our life or maybe new disciplines or, Lord, just maybe seeing things a little differently. So wherever my brothers and sisters are at this morning, please speak to us, each of us, as only your Spirit can. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Where we've been the past few weeks is we've talked about Revelation, which is God's divine disclosing to us. That's the content of what the Bible is. It's God's revelation to you and I. We've talked about inspiration, that God breathed into these writers of Scripture to record this revelation. We talked about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in illuminating truth to you and I so you and I can understand God's Word. The reality is on our own, we can't understand what God's trying to say to us. We need the Holy Spirit. We really are desperate for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. We talked a few weeks ago about what does the Word of God do in our life? And we talked about several things that the Word of God does in our life as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to us. This morning I want to talk about the context of the Word of God. The context in which you and I should view the Word of God. You see, your spiritual growth, my spiritual growth, and our development as growth of followers of Jesus is initially tied to how you and I view the Word. And there's three contexts in which you and I are to interact with God's Word. Revelation 1.3, short and sweet. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The reference immediately is for the words of prophecy in which John's about to write down, but by way of application all of truth, we should interact with this way. Now notice in that verse it says he. It means a personal person, he, she. And so the first context is personal context. It's a, there's a blessing 
John writes to the person who regularly intakes truth, specifically the truth of the Word of God. And whether we discipline ourselves to the Word of God or or how we interact with it, it's a personal responsibility for you and I. You and I have a responsibility to personally take in the Word of God. And John says, if you do that, you'll be blessed. Now, last week's next step was to interact with Psalms 1. And I talked to one guy who did it, and and hopefully you were able to do that this week. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted you to do that is because you have a personal responsibility to intake Scripture. Nobody could help you read through Psalm 1 necessarily. You had a responsibility to get into Scriptures because it's one of the contexts. It's personal. There needs to be an individual commitment to take the Bible seriously. Nobody can grow for you. The Word must be operating in your life personally. There's another context Scripture gives us way back in the New Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, one of the first books in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, we read of another context. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. We're not talking a casual discussion here. Diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The second context is family. You and I are interact with the scriptures in our homes, with our families. We are told to keep the word before our children. There should be a transfer of truth. We're told in verse 1, you, and then later we're told your sons and your daughters and your, ch- your home. There needs to be a transfer of truth from you to your children or to your spouse or to others in your home. In some cases, grandchildren. You and I are to keep the word before our children, even if they don't like it. There's no condition here, whether your children want to hear it or whether they like it. No, you are to keep, I am to keep God's Word before our children, before our families. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child. doesn't say if they want to or even if they like it. You and I have a commitment to do that. Growing up, uh, uh, children, or maybe even now children, mom and dad make you eat vegetables. They make you. Why? Because they know it's healthy. It's good for your growth. They don't suggest you eat your vegetables. They say, eat your vegetables. And they're pretty adamant about that sometimes. Eat them. Eat the asparagus. Eat whatever. You make sure you eat your vegetables because they're good for you. They help you grow. And how come when it comes to the Bible, we back off? If we really believe the Bible will help our children be spiritually healthy, should we not also say, oh, and intake the word? We need to. That's what Deuteronomy is calling us to do. We're to do it formally, verse 7. Maybe devotions or read to your children. And then informally, where we we share nuggets on the road. Maybe in the car. Maybe at the store. We interact that way. Talk about life and talk about what God has to say about things in life. Formally and informally, we're invited to do that. Dads and parents, keep them before your family. And, And I would add this. The the original context is dads, but dads and moms. 
Children need to have it coming from both. It needs to be a consistency in the home, and it needs to be like a joint effort type thing. And so, parents, there's a family context. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says to Timothy, he says, For I am reminded of the sincere faith which is in you, but you know where you got, Timothy? It first dealt in grandma. It first dwelt in your grandma, your grandma Lois. And then your mother Eunice, because it was passed on to mama. And I'm sure, Paul says, now dwells in you. In other words, there was a family context, Timothy, in which you grew up in. And praise God for that. And children, you should praise God for parents who help, help you learn Scripture. But there's a third context. It's an important one. The collective gathering. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. In other words, there's a corporate context, Timothy. Don't ignore it. Matter of fact, devote yourself to that corporate context. And as I was thinking about that, I thought there's a perfect story in Scripture, a perfect example, and you find it in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's an Old Testament book. You'll find it right before Psalms, a couple books before the book of Psalms, which typically if you open your Bible in the middle, there's Psalms. <laughs> and right before a couple books is this book called Nehemiah. Now, just by quick way of uh, helping us understand context, God's people haven't had the word in quite a while. That's probably all we need to know right now. They haven't really had the scriptures uh, due to their sin, due to their neglect, but now they have the scriptures, and, and let's see what happens. Verse 1, And all the people gathered as one at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. That would imply children of age who could understand it. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for that purpose. If we drop to verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. By the way, the word Amen, which we say a lot, in case you're not sure what you're saying, means so be, so be it or I agree. Um, just so you know what you're saying next time. And while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then verse 8 says, And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. There was a corporate sense. All the people were gathering together. Ezra took the scriptures called the law and he read it and you see the people's respect isn't it cool he took it they stood they were you're not just reading a book Ezra, you're not just reading dr seuss here this is the scriptures god's word to us which they hadn't had in quite a while and they stood out of reverence out of respect you see there was a posture they took towards scripture there's a reverence a reverence sometimes that's sorely lacking and there was a, a collective environment that was a context for hearing the Word of God. And the Scriptures were handled carefully and accurately so truth was explained so the people could understand it. Remember, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Apostle Paul was ministering to uh, these Christians in Berean, who were called Bereans, and, and we're told that the, the Bereans were of noble character. 
because they searched the scriptures to see if the things Paul said were true. In other words, you should come, whether it's here, TV, or whatever, and, and, and make sure you go back to scriptures and make sure that the speaker was lining up with scripture. Maybe he ate bad pizza the night before or something was off a little. You need to check it out and make sure that I'm on course or whoever else. And we do that collectively. God's designed a context that you and I learn collectively. And it's a privilege to be at church. The responsibility you have to grow together in this context of the church family. In Nehemiah, there was great excitement which surrounded a corporate intake of the Word of God. And sometimes you and I need to remind ourselves as you and I come together that you and I are going to meet with the living God and we're going to hear from God's revelation. That should bring excitement. That should bring expectancy. Now there's some applications for each of the contexts. And here's going kind of to zero in a little bit. Three applications. We see them back in Revelation. Pop back there real quick. Revelation 1-3. They're right there. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear and heed. Pretty clear. Read, hear, and heed. Those are three, you could say, applications for all three contexts. Let's start with read. It's a blessing to read God's Word. Not talking a quick glance here. We're talking reading it. This Word's concerned with what you and I do and how we understand what God's saying to us. We need to grasp the message. You see, many pick up the Bible and think, well, I'll take a verse a day to keep the devil away, but they never really grasp the message, especially the entire message of the Bible. Entire message. We need to consider the context of it all. But we're not to have just a casual glance towards it. The word diligent comes up often. 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed but correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, when we pick up our Bible, we are to give undivided attention. This is God's revelation. And he's got a word for me. And we need to approach that with diligence to understand it, to give undivided attention. You see, we can approach the Bible in one of two ways. We can approach it as a tourist, just kind of walking through, observing a couple things and say, oh, that's nice. Or, I believe God calls you and I to approach it differently as an explorer. What does an explorer do? He searches. I grew up with Jacques Cousteau. Ever remember him? And he had a TV special. And he would always talk about things he explored and in the ocean and all these different things. And, and that's what God wants you and I to be, Jacques Cousteau's, who search the Scriptures and go deeper. And don't just approach it as a tourist, but as an explorer. I found it interesting in 2 Timothy 4.13, near the end of Paul's life, we're told this, when he says to Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books especially the parchments. Paul's facing death. In the old age, you tend to get chilly quicker, and he says, I'm cold. You want to bring the cloak? But Timothy, above all, I want to make sure you bring the parchments. And he's referring to Scripture, copies of the Scriptures. Why? Because he wanted to read it. Because he knew that it was the Scriptures that would nourish him, especially in the later years of his life. 
And he reads them because he knew Scripture provide what's best. And so reading is not a glance, but giving God your undivided attention so you and I can grasp the message. And I would strongly encourage, don't detach your Bible reading from the object of your love. Because above all else, the Bible's a love letter from the heart of God to you and me. And if we forget that, we really forget the essence of what Scripture is. Grasp the message and, put, and then put it in your heart. If we're going to have regular spiritual intake, we need that which we are reading to find its way into our hearts. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He hid God's word in his heart. How do you do that? Memorize it. You need to memorize it. So when you don't have the Bible, you still have the sword of the Spirit. If the word's not in your heart, there's nothing for the Spirit to grab a hold of when you face temptations, attacks, and trials. You see, you and I need more than positive thinking. We need God's truth. We need the sword of the Spirit when we face attacks. And you and I can't proclaim and say what's not in our mind. We need to have the word within us to walk in victory. Now, I've heard this oftentimes, and maybe right now you're whirling through your mind. You said, but I don't have a good memory. Well, do you know your address and phone number? Well, apparently you can memorize. And that's a good place to start. Maybe your memory isn't what it used to be, but you can still lay up God's Word in your heart, one verse at a time. And, and the more we do that, the more it sticks with us. Now here's a little exercise. It's your job to finish this, okay? And you'll be able to. At least some one generation will be. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. Oh, you remembered that. And that's a commercial from way back. How'd you remember it? Repetition, 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 right? My baloney has a first name. It's You guys are incredible. Okay? My but don't forget my baloney has a second name. It's Okay. You remember this. Why do you remember this? Repetition, 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 right? They jam these commercials down our throat, these jingles, and we remember them. That's what we do with Scripture. And the beautiful thing about a lot of worship songs is, is their Scripture. And so there's another way. It's not just memorizing, but it's, it's singing the songs that are really, literally, Scripture. And that's a good thing to do. And our worship leaders, I know, interact with that and, and make sure that's part of what we sing. But you and I don't memorize Scripture just for the sake of memorizing Scripture. And we don't memorize Scripture oftentimes, if we're honest, because we're not really interested in memorizing Scripture. But really, there are certain things in our walk with Jesus which are challenging. But what, what, what reward there is when we see God's work at operation in our lives, what reward there is when we see God's Word alive in our heart, and what reward there is when we see God's Word help you and I in spiritual warfare, then we'll be glad that we memorize Scripture. So begin today. It doesn't need to take a lot. Just start small. Because the reality is Satan and his cohorts, they're not afraid of your word. But there's one thing that gets them trembling. That's God's word. God's truth. They can't handle God's truth. And so get it in your heart. So we're, we're to read it. We're also to hear it. You see, to hear it is to let it talk to you. The Bible's written to us so we could hear God's revelation to us. Well, how do we learn to do this? There's one key word. It's all over Scripture. It's called meditation. Let me give you just a couple of them. Psalm 119. 
is loaded. And I'm going to go through, read several verses through here. And you have them, I think, in your bulletin outline, so you might want to read them later as well. But uh, in case you think I'm off my rocker about this meditation thing, Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. Verse 23. Even though princes sit and talk against me, thy servant meditates on thy statutes. Next time someone gossips about you, Psalmist's solution is I'm going to meditate on the truth. Probably the truth of what God thinks of me. Let's keep going on. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of thy precepts, so I will meditate on thy wonders. Verse 48. And I shall lift up my hands to thy commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on thy statutes. If you're still not convinced, verse 78. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on thy precepts. You're still not convinced. Go to verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Good to bring scripture and have a card or something where you can pull it out regularly and, and meditate upon it. It's not done. Verse 148. I love this. This is great. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on thy word. It's like the psalmist is saying, I can't wait till the day is done. When everything's shut down, when the kids are in bed, when the phone's not ringing, I can't wait for that part of the day because it's then, God, I can lock in on you. In the quietness, I can really meditate upon you. And maybe that's the best time to meditate. When you lay in bed or, or late at night where you don't count sheep, but you count God's blessings and, and you begin to meditate upon truth. So you, you and I can go to bed with God on our mind. Maybe a good way of evaluation would be, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you made sure you read a passage of Scripture before you went to bed? So God could be on your mind. According to the psalmist, it's probably one of the best times to meditate is at night. God will calm your mind with His truth. Help you deal with pressures. And if you're facing difficulty tomorrow, trials tomorrow, pressures tomorrow, go to sleep tonight with God on your mind. And you'll be amazed how God will transform your thinking for tomorrow. It's amazing. I, I love a passage in Joshua, verses, chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, Joshua is facing a formidable foe. God's not holding back. He's saying, Joshua, I'm calling you to go in the promised land, but it's not going to be easy. There's some bad dudes over there. They are crazy and they're warped. And you get to go there. And so... Joshua probably not too excited about these things and probably is like, how do I go about this? And, 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 and he says, be strong, Joshua. I want you to be courageous. And, and here's what's going to help you as you face the formidable foes. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate upon it day and night. For then you will be successful. Then you will be prosperous. What's success? Fulfilling God's purposes for your life. If you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life, you need to meditate on Scripture. It'll help you and I live successfully according to God's standards. Meditation, though, is not simply reflecting. It's chewing on it. The Hebrew word for meditate is an interesting word. It means to mumble or mutter. Like, that's weird. 
But what they used to do is they would, they would take Scripture and they'd walk along and kind of talk to themselves about it. They would re- repeat it almost in a whisper. And after a while, they begin to refer to that as meditating. And that was a good thing. They mumbled it. They muttered it to themselves and they were reflecting on it. They kept bringing it up and chewing on it. That's the whole idea of meditation. To meditate is to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts more quickly and more deeply. Do you mumble the Word? Do you meditate upon it? Journalizing has helped me. It's one way I mumble. It's one way I, I, I process God's truth, and I would strongly encourage you, if you don't, to begin to do it. There's great benefit to it. One of the benefits I've found over and over is I'll go back and reread old journals and be blessed. Why? Because it's what God had spoken to me about in the past. It encourages me. I don't want to forget what God said in the past because it often will help me about the future and prepare me. And so you and I will be able to, if you journalize, you can go back and look at all the meditations and things God had spoken to you about. I encourage you to do that. And if you'd like to learn more, maybe a little bit what that looks like, I'd love to talk with you about that. And I find there's three habits essential to nurturing a reflective life, a meditative life. There are three, and I want to just mention them here. One's read the moment. Read the moment in Scripture. What's going on? Use your eyes to see what's on the surface. First with the Word, but you could also actually carry this over to read the everyday moments of life. What's going on? But I have a next step for you, and it's to interact with a passage in John, and I want you to start there. Read the moment. What's going on on the surface? Don't just fly by. What's really going on here? And then reflect on the moment. When you and I reflect on the moment we read, it's giving what we've read some place to live in our hearts. It allows it to grow there. Ask questions of the text. Personalize it. Engage your mind to see what's beneath the surface. Because you realize that's what Psalms, the whole book of Psalms is. David and the psalmist are reflecting on the moments. They're reflections. So I'm thinking if one of the if the biggest book in the Bible is about reflecting on the moments, maybe I should follow that, and I think we should. Reflecting on the moment, meditating on the moment. What are we, what's God saying right here, right now, through that passage? Think about it. Chew on it. Bring it up again. Third one's responding to the moment. In other words, to not respond is like eating without swallowing. We need to respond to the moment. But how do we cultivate these habits? We need to pause. We need to pause. If you've ever walked through a park and and you see park benches there, the park benches are there for a reason, to sit on. In other words, people walk through the park or walk through town and they sit on the bench and you know what they're doing? They're pausing. What reflecting and meditation is, it's the park bench in your mind. It's where you pause. And you think about what you read, what God's trying to say to you. It's putting pauses in our lives which allows us to keep reading God's words and hearing His voice. Now I have, right here, we get through right now, an exercise. Uh, the AV people are going to put a, a, a writing from Ken Geyer on. I want you to read it. And so there it is. Go for it. I'll give you a few moments. Okay, some of you stopped. Some of you never began. And at what point did you stop reading? And, and I'm sure some of you are like, man, I couldn't even read the first sentence, much less uh, go any further or pause on it. And uh, why? Because there's no pauses. Plus, 
the type's reduced, plus there's no margins, there's no punctuation, there's no pauses. Now think about this for a second. You see, it's the sentence breaks, it's the margins, it's the pauses which give resonance to the words. They give the words impact. And if our lives are like that, where we reduce the type and we remove the margin, we remove the pauses, we quit reading. And our lives are so busy, we pack so much in them, our schedules, and they crowd out the pauses in our life. And when life pressures us to put as much as we can in our day, we start reducing the type, combining paragraphs, editing out the spaces, eliminating the margins, and after a while, guess what we do? We quit reading. We quit reading the moments. We quit reflecting upon what God's trying to say to us. Because meditation's crucial. It allows us to give the Word of God space in our lives. It invites God's Spirit to, to place His truth in our mind and our hearts. And when that happens, the Spirit of God will then take His Word and cause it to take root and will penetrate the recesses of our lives. And God causes you and I to pause. And that happens when we meditate. If I were to be frank, you cannot mature as a Christian without spending time doing this. You just can't. You can't grow when your life's like that. You just won't. You, we won't respond to the Word because we haven't reflected on the Word. And every time you and I learn something, we need to find someone to use it on, to share it with. That's one way we continue to meditate, reflect, and bless others. It's as simple as going to someone and saying, you know what I read this morning in the Bible? Or calling up an accountability partner, or maybe you meet one time a week or a couple times and just saying, hey, here's what I read. I love when I hear people do that. What would you read this week? What's God saying to you? I think that's a great way to continue to reflect on it. And if you need to tell the dog, tell the dog, but tell somebody. What God's saying to you? What's He speaking to you about? Let meditation lead to Scripture becoming a part of your life. That's how God communicates often. But there's a third word here. It's to read, it's to hear, and it's to heed. To heed. Psalm 119. Go to verse 129. There's a couple other verses in here which kind of highlight the same thing. Verse 7, we're told to keep God's Word. Verse 106, we're told to keep God's word. And then verse 129, we get to here, which says this, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. It's the whole idea of heeding. The psalmist saying, deep in the innermost parts of who I really am in my heart, I'm going to heed them. You see, the psalmist ties the heart and obeying together. But so did Jesus. John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. You see, obedience and the heart are intricately tied together. But Jesus goes on to say, And the one who loves me, I'll show myself to them. In other words, I'll reveal more to them when they heed, when they obey my truth. John 13, 27 is, by the way, if you want God's blessing, here you go. If you know these things, the truth, you're blessed. If what? If you do them. If you do them, if you heed them, you want to be blessed, do what God tells you to do. Heed His truth. It's how you and I grow. It's blessing not only when we read and hear, but if we want full blessing, it comes fully when we heed. By the way, that's what Psalm 1 was all about, wasn't it? It's about heeding God's truth. It's about the connection of reading, meditating, and heeding. 
And the person who does that, according to Psalm 1 and according to these passages, is blessed. You want God's blessing? Then pay attention to what he's saying and then follow it. Many of you aren't experiencing God's blessing because of that. It might be a case of you're reading but you're not heeding, or it could be a case of backing all the way up and saying, you're not even in the scriptures, much less can't meditate on what you're not reading, and then you're not heeding. And you wonder why your life's not going well. Trace it back to this. God promises blessing when we're in the scriptures. I want God's blessing. Now, how do we get started? If you're honest, you're sitting here saying, man, I'd love to do this, but I've got to be honest, when I sit down and open the Bible, I'm bored. If you're honest. It doesn't appeal to me. There's just not something that pulls me to it. I, I, I'm just bored. Well, my encouragement to you would be, you acquire taste for it. You acquire taste for it. it I found it really interesting in Psalms 1 and other places as well, Running parallel with meditation is this other word called delight. It's like God wants you and I to know that when we meditate on Scripture, on God's truth, something happens, we begin to delight. In other words, we acquire taste for it. And, and you've done this. Growing up, uh, Mom would always make sure we had vegetables. And, and, and she seemed to really like, especially my dad, of giving us two of them. Cabbage and broccoli. I couldn't stand them. I hated them. But if I wanted to go out and play, I had to eat them. Okay? So that was a good discipline because it made me eat them. And I ate them over and over for 20 or 18 years. I put down cabbage and broccoli and hated it. But I found something happening when I was 19, 20. And I began to like it. I love cabbage now. I love broccoli. That's good stuff. What happened? I used to hate it. Now I love it. What happened? I acquired a taste for it. In other words, I began to experience transformation in my taste buds the more I interacted with it and the more I took it in. You know, I think the same's true of truth. The more we interact with it, our taste buds begin to be transformed. Our lives, our, our, our desires begin to transform and soon we're delighting in it. That's what God wants to do. And so if you're right now like I'm bored and, and I'm just, it doesn't appeal to me, get in it. God will take his word and transform your desires and turn it into delight. And many of you can testify to that. How God's done that in your life and is doing that more and more. So the way to acquire a taste for a Bible is to read it, to hear it, and to heed it. So stay in the truth. Stay in the Scripture. Learn to love it. And my prayer for all of us is we continue to experience the dynamic of the Word that you and I would experience anew as Christians, the wonder of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we are most, most privileged people. We have your truth. We have your word. In a world where so many voices cry out and so many people listening to a word that won't last and a word that 
that can't stand the storms, we find a sure word. Your word. Your revelation to us. If that's not enough, God, you sent your spirit to help us understand it because it's that significant. And God, what I'm praying for first is those who, as they sit here, realize they have very little interaction with Scripture. Maybe they're relying on the church or their Sunday school teacher to teach them, and and that's good that they're there, but I pray that you'd personally drive each of us to your truth. Remove the excuses. Lord, I've got to believe that there's many of us who need to readjust our life because the margins of life have been eliminated and our sentences are running together and we've reduced the type of our lives. There are no pauses. Help us to set park benches in our life. Places we can stop and listen, God. Listen to you, the Almighty, who has so much to say to us. And Lord, I know and I believe deeply that when we as your people stop and listen and heed, there's a transformation in our lives that can't be explained. There's a dynamic in our life which allows us to go through this life with perspective and power and hope. And even when life is not at its most desirable, you give us a delight in your word which creates a delight for you. So thank you, God, for your word. Help us to continually discover the wonder of it so we might love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand.